it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hey, do you have trouble sleeping? Then maybe you should check out The Sleepy Podcast. It's a show where I read old books in the public domain to help you get to sleep. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of classic stories like A Tale of Two Cities, Pride and Prejudice, Winnie the Pooh, stories that are great for adults and kids alike. For years now, Sleepy has helped millions of people catch some much-needed Z's, start their next day off fresh, and discover old books that they didn't know they loved. So, whether you have a tough time snoozing or you just like a good bedtime story, fluff up the cool side of your pillow and tune into Sleepy. Unless you're driving, then please don't listen to Sleepy. Find Sleepy on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes each week. Sweet dreams. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 247. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to do something a little different. We thought we would take a look at analyzing a couple companies but and kind of compare and contrast, but we thought we would do them through the lens of back to the basics. So thinking about things that maybe a beginner would look at and how they could kind of start trying to analyze a company. So the way we'll kind of structure this tonight is I will ask the questions and Andrew will provide us with all the answers. So here we go. We'll have some little fun. All right. So the first question then would be, what's the stock? Yeah. So we're going to look at Apple and Tesla and try to take you through our back to the basic series, which is five episodes, condense them into one. So when I look at what is a stock and what is Apple stock and what is Tesla stock and what does that stand for? What does it represent? When you own a piece of Tesla's shares or Apple's shares, you own part of that business. So when you see Apple making their iPhones and Tesla's selling their cool new electric vehicles, they are creating profits for the owners. And when you buy shares in each of those stocks, you are entitled to that growth in the value of the business as they create profits. Awesome. All right. So if we're going to start analyzing Apple and Tesla as a beginner, I guess, where would we start? So the thing to know about analyzing a business is there are three main financial statements that every 
stock that's in the public stock market needs to post. So you have the income statement, the balance sheet, and the cash flow statement. And we can look to our own personal lives for clues for how to evaluate these things. So let's start with the income statement. That one's definitely the most popular. You'll hear it all the time on Wall Street when they're talking about Tesla's earnings or Apple's earnings. They will talk about EPS or earnings per share, and you find that on the income statement. So think of an income statement like if you do your taxes. I know it's something we don't want to think about, but every year when you do have to do those, you get a W-2 and it tells you what kind of income you brought in. So that's kind of what these companies are doing, but they're also doing how much they're spending. So Dave, you talked as like a P&L, profit and loss. That's really what an income statement is. And so what's great about if you bought Apple or Tesla 10 years ago, we're recording this in October, but let's say you bought them in December of 2012. Apple would be an eight bagger, which means it grew eight times. Your $1,000 would be $8,000. Tesla has been a hundred bagger. So in that same time period, if you have $1,000, if you had $10,000, you'd have a million dollars, hundred baggers. Wonderful. If you look at their income statement and you look at their earnings per share, which is telling you how profitable are these businesses. And as a shareholder, how much of those profits are accruing to you? You can see for Tesla, they went from negative 74 cents a share to $4.09 per share. Apple went from $1.50 per share to around $6 a share now. So as companies get more profitable, their stock prices go up over the long term. Yeah, that's awesome. So what are the other two financial statements? So we talked about the income statement as kind of the P&L. What are the other two that we would look at? The next one would be the balance sheet. And you can think of this simply as what a company owns versus what they owe. So in the same way that somebody might have a mortgage in a house and they might have equity in that house, these companies have balance sheets and they have assets and liabilities and equity in the very same way. So when we look at two of these great businesses like Apple and Tesla, you can look at their balance sheet and you can see how much cash do they have? How many investments do they have? What kind of assets do they have that help them run the business? So if you ever look at a company like Tesla, they have these huge gigafactories where they're producing all the components and everything that goes into a Tesla car. That would show up on the balance sheet. That gigafactory would show up because they've had to invest a lot of money to build that asset, which creates profits for them later. Both of these companies, like I said, they're great businesses and they're both debt-free from the standpoint of they have more cash than they have debt. So that could be a quick way, if you're really wanting to be really safe, you could start by looking at those kind of businesses and start there knowing that the odds of them going bankrupt are a lot smaller than a company where the situation's flipped, where they have too much debt compared to their cash. And why would that be a good thing? Why would we want to look at the balance sheet and see if a company has more cash than debt on their balance sheet? What would that tell us? It's a good question. And there's twofold. So on the one hand, you're reducing risk and there's less chance of, again, a company going under. But on the flip side, they have a lot of dry powder now where they can quickly deploy that cash. Maybe Tesla wants to build another gigafactory. Maybe Apple wants to buy another business and roll that into the Apple ecosystem. I mean, they're moving out into streaming now. They have Apple TV Plus. They're just rolling out this Fitness Plus thing. So maybe they buy 
just as an example, like a Peloton and roll that into that, the fitness plus, and that helps them grow profits in different ways. So those are all kinds of things that companies can do when they have a lot of cash. And Wall Street tends to like to see when those companies put that cash to work. So you can have a double benefit where the stock goes up because the profits go up and Wall Street likes the fact that they're using their cash. Awesome. All right. So we've got two out of the three. What's the third? What's the last one? Third one would be cash flow statement. And I like the way that you've described this in the past, Dave, as thinking of it like a checking account. So you can see the actual cash that's coming in and flowing out of the business for each year. And so what's I think is kind of insightful to look at when you look at the difference between a company like Tesla and a company like Apple. Tesla has been one where they've, over the last 10 years, grown from the ground up. I mean, they went from a company that was barely struggling, not really producing many cars. So now you can get on the road and see a Tesla pretty much anywhere, at least on the two coasts that I've lived on. Okay, You can see a Tesla on the road in those places. Versus somebody like Apple, who their iPhone was released in 2007. By 2012, pretty much everybody already had an iPhone. So they didn't need to do much in the way of creating something brand new but rather they were more matured and all they did was just keep executing and get a little bit better every day. And over a long time period, they've also had great success. So where you compare and contrast those two companies is when you look at their cash flow statements. Apple has been cash flow positive this whole time, which means they're bringing in profits and they're generating more cash than they're spending. For Tesla, they've had to spend more cash than they generated in order to grow up to a scale where now they've actually flipped it and now they generate more cash than they consume. But just as an example, in 2018, they generated $2 billion in cash, but they outlaid $2.3 billion in investments. So they had a negative cash flow, but those investments included these big gigafactories, which allowed them to produce more cars. And so even though the cash flow statement showed negative cash, they were still being successful. So it's basically there's two different ways that companies can generate value. It's not always negative cash is bad or positive cash is good, but that's one of the ways you identify how a company is using their cash. And in Tesla's case, they were investing in bigger gigafactories so they could produce more cars. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. 
Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. That's awesome. Okay, so we've kind of taken a look at all of the statements. For the cash flow statement, I guess the last question I would have is, is there any like real simple, big metric that we could easily look at as a beginner to kind of give us a sense of what kind of cash flow this company generates. And when we talk about cash flow, what exactly does that mean? And what would be a metric that we could use to measure that and maybe compare that to other companies? That's an excellent question. And we will shout out the great Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank. Free cash. He always talks about free cash. It's free cash flow. And that is a simple metric that you can use. It's very similar to the earnings per share, but instead of looking at the P&L profits, we're looking at the actual cash generated. So it's cash from operations subtracted CapEx or capital expenditures, and that is your free cash flow. And again, what it does is it it takes into account all the things that businesses are spending to run their business. So for Apple, as an example... They might have to purchase chips from uh, different semiconductor companies. They're purchasing the guts of their phones and then sending those off to customers. They're spending on that. They might spend for engineers. They might spend for salespeople. They might spend to make big investments. All of those things, when you take them out of the numbers, you get the free cash flow. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so where would I find those two, I guess, line items in the cash flow statement? to kind of make help visualize it because we are in a podcast after all. (laughs) Right. They generally will segment a cash flow statement into three parts. And for, I would say the vast majority of them, the cash from operations, the cash from operating is going to be at the top. So you would look at the bottom line of the three sections on the top, that cash from operations, and then you would subtract capital expenditures or additions to PPE. And those would be the two metrics. Those are generally really close to each other. Yeah, perfect. Okay, awesome. All right, so let's move on to kind of the next, I guess, thing we would look at. And that would be the difference between stock buybacks and dilution. And how would that impact an investment in either one of these companies? 
this is where Apple and Tesla become very instructive for examining because they, again, showed two different histories where you can do two different things with the shares outstanding. So again, remember one share means part ownership of that business. And if you think of your part ownership as the slice in a pizza and that pizza is the business, companies can either buy back or dilute to make your slice of the pizza bigger or smaller depending on what they're trying to do. So when companies go into the markets, they're IPOing, which means they're selling, they're making themselves public. Maybe a, a company like me and Dave's company, maybe we're private family owned and one day we just want to cash out. And so instead of us owning it, we would sell it to the public and now the public would own it and then we would get all that cash. So the same thing happens with these public companies. When they went public, people like Steve Jobs, who founded Apple, got a ton of money. Elon Musk made a ton of money when Tesla went public. But somebody like Elon also kept shares. So he's still a big owner in the new post-IPO. So companies can do that. Like when Tesla did that, there was no way they were going to scale to such a size and become profitable unless they sold those shares. Because car manufacturing is very, very expensive. And to make that happen at a profitable scale, you really need huge investments in machinery and things like that. So while they were growing up to get that to that scale, they kept selling shares and that's called dilution. They're issuing shares. It's basically like you're IPOing again and again and again. And so what that does is they're giving away parts of their business, but the company is generating cash so they can reinvest it and get to a bigger scale. So if you're a shareholder in Tesla, your slice of the pie was getting smaller and smaller and smaller, but that's okay because the pie itself was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so companies that do it correctly will use money that they generate from diluting themselves to grow really massively. And that becomes beneficial for everybody. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. So let's take the, I guess, the opposite side of that coin. And let's talk a little bit about Apple because they're in a different financial position and they've done differently. Yes, 100%. So again, in 2012, Apple already had that scale where so many people had iPhones already. They did not need billions of dollars to expand. And so when companies get to that part in their company lifecycle, Brian Feraldi calls it the like the cash harvesting mode. Basically, they can just return that cash to their owners because they don't necessarily need to have these huge risky capital investments and really try to grow and kind of swing for the fences. So in the case of a company that's just spitting cash, free cash, like Apple, what they can do is they can give it back to owners in a dividend. And that's basically just part of the profits given back to you as a shareholder. Or they can buy back shares. And what that does when they buy back shares is it does the opposite. So the company spends cash and the shares go away. And so your slice of the pie gets bigger now instead of smaller. And that can become very, very beautiful over many years because your slice of the pie gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And you do not have to do anything for that. And it makes the stock price go up too because a stock price, remember, is talking about one slice of the pie. So as that means each slice is getting bigger, so the stock price goes higher, 
because even if the pie is the same size, the slice is getting bigger and that's how stock prices can go higher without a business even getting bigger sometimes. And what would be the impact if they were buying the shares back and let's say that the company was undervalued or cheaper versus if it was more expensive? Does that have a bearing on what kind of impact it would have on our ownership? It does in general. There's the buy low, sell high you want. You always want buy low and sell high. But for most businesses, if you look across the entire stock market, most of them do it in a consistent fashion where sometimes it's a good deal and sometimes it's not. But that seems to work for a lot of shareholders because it takes another decision away from management so they can focus on other things. Awesome. All right. Let's move on to the next set of questions, if we will. So why should I buy Tesla or Apple versus investing in other investments? What would be the advantages and what are those other investments that I could consider? What makes these companies, again, very interesting is they're, like we said, two different parts of their life cycle and two different risks and two different rewards. And so when you look at the entire expansion, if you look across the universe of investments, you have investments that are all along that scale of, I could really hit a home run here or I could really strike out. It could be a huge winner, but it could also fail spectacularly. And very rarely do you have a business that's very low risk and can grow to crazy, crazy amounts. To expect Apple to grow like Tesla has, nothing short of miraculous if they ever did. And that's just because there's nothing like growing from nothing to global scale. There's no way to replicate that. So when you look at all of the different investing types, I think when you looked at like crypto from last year, a lot of the cryptos, people got really excited about it because the idea is, well, this crypto is so small. But if it ever became as big as like, let's say the US dollar, my goodness, you could make thousands, millions of percent on your money. What we also learned is when there's huge potential like that, there's also a lot of risk that can be involved and a lot of them fan, you know, didn't pan out. And you know, a reason for that is obviously when there's a bigger pool, bigger potential, there's going to be more people fighting for that. So it's very hard to survive if you're playing in a big pond, if you will. You're going to have big fish that are going to take you out. So you have that on one extreme. On the other extreme, you can invest in you know a bank account. You can invest in bonds. That's something that gets recommended for people who are in retirement a lot. So let's say, as an example, we love Apple but we don't like the risk of buying Apple stock. What they do when they borrow is they issue bonds. And what a bond does is it's giving Apple, let's say $10 billion and Apple has to pay it back over time. And so investors in bonds get that payment back, plus they get some interest on that. And just like you will see in stocks and just like you will see in investments, if you want higher interest, you're going to have to take higher risk. If you want a very safe bond, it's probably going to be a lower interest rate that you earn. So somebody like Apple does not pay much in interest. But that's kind of gives you the range of risk and return. And within that, you have companies like Apple and Tesla, where companies that are younger and not in that cash harvesting mode yet are more risky. And so more of them tend to crash and burn than somebody like Apple who's executing and just kind of in that sweet spot of harvest mode. Have you ever wondered what it's like to be buried in an avalanche? 
weird foreign feeling of despair. Or how it feels to crash a skydive. I remember hearing a thud, feeling my body hit the ground. Or how you would react if you were being attacked by an alligator. At the end of my leg is this huge alligator head on my leg. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a victim of an attack. Dragging me into the bathroom and saying, I'm going to kill you, now you're going to die. You'll hear from a man who discovered a baby. How could this be? How could there be a baby on the ground? And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Plinky County 911. There's a man at my back door. He's trying to get in. What Was That Like is a podcast about real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. Welcome to the I Can't Sleep podcast with Benjamin Boster. If you're tired of sleepless nights, you'll love the I Can't Sleep podcast. I help quiet your mind by reading random articles from across the web to bore you to sleep with my soothing voice. Each episode provides enough interesting content to hold your attention, and then your mind lets you drift off. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. That's I Can't Sleep with Benjamin Boster. Okay. Yeah, that's perfect. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the price you pay matters. You touched on it a minute ago about the idea of kind of buy low and sell high. So how does the price matter? How can that impact what we pay? How can that impact our investments? So when you look at across the entire stock market, the stock market's like a roller coaster. It's very volatile in the short term. And so if you were somebody who invested in the stock market in 2009, You did really, really well because the market was in the tanks. It was down big. We could see swings in the stock market from 20% up to 50% down all in a year. And that's not out of the norm for the stock market. So if you're able to capitalize at times when it's extreme fear and keep keep away from times when it's extreme greed, you can do better than the market by taking advantage of those things. As far as I'm aware of all the time doing this, I have not seen somebody do that successfully. I've not heard of somebody who can do that. It's just the market is too hard to time perfectly. But you can find discrepancies in value between different companies. So for many different reasons, companies can... The stocks can trade at different values from what the companies are actually worth. So for example, if Apple... I'm just going to just throw numbers out there. But if Apple sold you know, 50 million iPhones and it generated 200 billion in sales and say like 40 billion in profits, and maybe it was worth 400 billion... But if in the stock market it was priced at three hundred billion, you can do better than the market by buying it when it's at three and either selling it when it's at four or continuing to hang on to it as it goes to four and beyond. So that's kind of the general gist of buying low and selling high in the stock market. So that kind of touches on a holding period when you like there's different kinds of investors and 
So value investors, I think, tend towards a buy and hold idea. And so how does that work with like investing in a company like Tesla or Apple? How can you take advantage of what you were just talking about? So it's a very good question. You do see these stocks go up and down quite violently at times in the short term. And so if I were to think, I think Apple's going to sell more iPhones than they did last year. So I say, I'm going to buy today and in 12 months, I'm going to sell. And as long as I sell more iPhones, I'm going to make a profit. That's not how the stock market works. Over the very long term, the stock price will follow that increase in business value. Like I said, both of these businesses grew their profits per share over the long term. And so the stock prices have followed. But in a one-year time period, two-year, three-year, five-year, the market is more noisy and it swings based on the news headlines. It swings based on the economy, inflation, rumors, news articles, you know, earnings surprises. All of these things cause the stocks to move a lot. But once you start to zoom out and you get to 10-year time periods, 20-year time periods, that's where you'll see the price smooth and it follows the value of businesses. But in the short term, it certainly does not do that. I saw a statistic the other day. It was quite a while ago, but something of the people who are actively investing, these fund managers, these are people managing huge amounts of money in the market. Their average time period is less than a year. It's like something like eight months or 10 months. So very hard to win at that game if you're constantly jumping in and out of random stock movements. Investors who are just starting out can give themselves a huge advantage by taking a long-term focus and just trying to hold for a very long time. That's incredibly hard to do, very easy to say. Yeah, exactly. So that kind of leads me to the power of compounding. So how can combining a buy and hold strategy and compounding, the power of compounding, how can that help us if we invest in a company like Apple or Tesla? So what's nice about the stock market is, like you said, it gives us compounding interest. And so think about this for a second. So Apple, went; they returned 23% per year over the 10-year time period. So that turned $10,000 into $81,000. It was an eight-bagger, like I said. But if you think about 23% in one year, it does not sound like much. If I were to start with $100 and you would tell me, hey, you get $23 gain next year, that doesn't get anybody excited, right? Like, there's nothing exciting about a 20% gain. And, and, and we're talking about one of the greater, one of the better businesses. Like, this is one of the greatest examples in the market. You know, there aren't very many Apples and Teslas in the market. But where compounding comes into play is it builds on itself year after year after year. So if we were to take $100 and you make 20 on it, it becomes 120. If you make 20 on it again, it's not just another $20. You're making 20 on 120, which is close to the $25. So what you get is this exponential growth curve. And it works just like the way a snowball works when it rolls down a hill. As it gets bigger, it picks up more and more snow. As companies generate more value, they generate more levels of growth. And the same thing happens with your investments. So if you can take businesses that are growing, they're giving you money back through dividends and buybacks, all of those forces can work together to turn what sounds like a small gain in the beginning to a huge gain 10 years from now. 
So remember that 23% every year became an eight bagger. That's 800% over 10 years. You say, how, how does 20 get to 800 from, you know, in 10 years? Because it compounds, it grows, it multiplies. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So I guess the last thing that we want to kind of talk about is dividends. So how can a company that pays a dividend impact investing in a company versus one that doesn't? And I think this is a perfect illustration because of our two companies today. It is a perfect illustration because Apple does pay a dividend. Tesla does not. Tesla has never paid a dividend and Apple has paid one for close to 10 years now. So the difference, if you would have just bought Apple and let's say you got all the dividends, but you just spent them. Maybe you wanted to buy the new iPhone. I mean, you can't blame me for that. Right. (laughs) You would have about gotten a six bagger. So by reinvesting your dividends, you got an eight bagger. So why that happens is again, because of compound interest and how things multiply. Usually when you buy a stock, you get something like 1%, 2%, 3%. If you're lucky, 4%. That's the dividend you get. So again, it's not anything to get excited about. Where it gets exciting though is if you reinvest that dividend, you now own more shares in the company. And then the next year you get a dividend, you'll get a higher dividend because you reinvested last year's. Not only that, companies will raise their dividend from year to year to year. For example, Visa just recently announced they raised the dividend by 20%. Not bad for sure. Not bad. Not bad. So you have two forces that are pushing the amount of income you're receiving from your investment. And those tend to go up year after year after year. And again, it snowballs and multiplies because of the way that numbers work. You have these dollars that are working for you. You're putting those dollars to work. And then those those dollars are getting put to work and they're going to work for you. And that really compounds in the mushrooms. And so that's how a 2% Apple dividend in 2012 turns into the difference between 200%. So in this case, again, it's the difference between having $80,000 and $60,000. So two, if we start at 10000 that's two Apple investments that you get added on top of your investment because you reinvested your dividends, you delay gratification. And those little morsels of dividends, they become more and more valuable the bigger the company gets because that little fraction of a share becomes more and more valuable as Apple itself has its share price go higher. Awesome. All right. So I think that kind of works through the whole, the gamut of back to the basics and how you could use those guidelines to help you start looking at companies. Did you have any final parting wisdom that you wanted to share with our listeners in regards to kind of how you would look at a company if you're just starting out? Yes, I would say these are very inspiring examples, but they are definitely more of the exceptions than they are the rule. Uh, When you get into the stock market, there's a lot of companies that are not going to give you a hundred bagger. And the 100-bagger Tesla-type companies are really very few and far between. If you think about what Tesla has done, he's literally... Elon Musk has literally changed the world through innovation and invention. There's not very many people or companies that do that. So keep in mind that it's going to be, in general, easier to find a company like an Apple than it is a Tesla. But that doesn't mean that you can't do it. So if this kind of stuff inspires you, if it makes you want to take 
a better look and a deeper look into the stock market. Dave and I have I've been down that journey. It's been extremely fascinating and you definitely have to learn a lot. I would kind of maybe let you close it with your parting advice on how to take the journey of learning because I know you have a good illustration for that. So I think a couple easy illustrations to kind of think about when you're starting out, it can seem overwhelming. It can seem like, oh my gosh, there's so much information to learn and I can't do this. You can. So Andrew and I have done it. Neither one of us had a background in this. This is just a passion for us and it's become something that we do and you can absolutely do it. But I think the easiest way to think about it, and this is what I've always tried to think about whenever I'm trying to learn something new is think about it like eating a pizza. You can't eat the whole thing at once as much as you want to and as hard as you try, because trust me, I've tried. Uh, you can't. You have to do it piece by piece. And that's the only way that you can get through the pizza. And you have to approach investing the same way. Start somewhere and then just work through the information. Start with learning what a stock is and what the companies are and understanding what the businesses are. And then just kind of go from there. And like anything else, the more you do it, the more repetition that you put in, the better you'll get at it. And I also like to use my grandma's analogy, water dripping on a stone eventually makes an impression. So even though you may think you're not getting anywhere, by continuing to work at it and trying and being diligent about it, you will improve and you will get better and you will learn. And you'll surprise yourself. One day you'll be reading through a 10K of a company and go, wow, I really understood that. And it only took me 45 minutes to get through it. And holy mackerel, you know, so it's an exciting thing. It's a great tool to add to your toolkit of life. And the more that you invest, the better you'll get. So I guess that's kind of the parting advice, if you will. So I guess go out there and invest with a margin of safety, everyone. Emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.